Hi, and welcome to the Medicine for Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Stiff. I'm a dietitian turned physician passionate about empowering people to use their lifestyle as medicine. Many of the chronic diseases and cancers that affect our world can be prevented. I'm on a mission to provide you with evidence-based tools and education so you can implement realistic and sustainable changes into your life to combat disease, reach your health goals, and lead your best life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Let's begin this journey together. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Medicine for Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Stiff, and today and probably next week, potentially more, we'll see when I record the episodes, uh, we're going to talk about healthy eating and kids. And today's episode is really going to focus on the general approach and philosophy that I take when I talk to parents about how to raise healthy eaters. So today I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty details about the types of food to promote and how to promote them specifically. Um, I do have a couple of blog posts about raising healthy eaters, so you can feel free to go over to nutritionhealthlife.com and search kids, healthy eating, and you'll find quite a few um, posts to give you some ideas to get started if you're interested in finding something after you hear today's episode. Um, And also a quick shout out to um, a physician, Dr. Sarah Fox, who wrote a great cookbook, um, and it's called Super Snacks for Super Kids, and I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, So this cookbook uh, has great healthy recipes, and she also did feature on my blog and have some posts that uh, show her approach to promoting healthy eating in kids. Um, And so if you're looking for some snack ideas and meal ideas, definitely check out that cookbook. Um, I don't get any royalty commissions or anything like that, no referral bonus. Um, It's just a great cookbook that I want to help promote uh, for a great cause. And then again, the blog post content is really the same philosophy that I have for approaching healthy eating. Uh, But the thing I wanted to talk about today is how do we approach body size and our approach to healthy eating with our children? And this idea was really spurred from a Facebook post I saw in a physician group that I'm in. It's a physician mom group that uh, within it, someone had posted a question about their two children and wanting some snack ideas. But the undertones of other issues related to body size and this uh, parent's approach to uh, how she feeds her children um, also came out in the post. And it it really is something that I have found to be very prevalent um, and is something I feel pretty passionately about. And so I wanted to address more of this general idea we have around healthy eating. And so the first piece is that healthy eating is for all people. I don't care how big or small your body is, everyone needs to be generally eating a healthy diet. Um, Again, I typically consider a healthy diet something that's plant forward or plant predominant. So something like the Mediterranean diet that focuses largely on plant-based items, but then adds in things like uh, low-fat dairy and actually sometimes full-fat dairy if it's coming from a reputable source. you know, cheese is fine once in a while, chicken, um, even beef can be okay as long as it's a high quality beef, ideally grass fed. But the, the focus of the diet is plant products. And so people should be eating this way 80% of the time. I typically 
prescribe to the 80-20 rule. So 80% of the time you're on target, 20% of the time you're just living life, making it through. So um, those are the times you go out to eat with friends, uh, you have a big party you go to, a wedding, whatever it is. Maybe it's a birthday party and you're going to celebrate. Um, in, in those moments, you just enjoy the food. So you can go back to my mindful intuitive eating post and really listen to, um, I'm sorry, podcasts, not posts, but listen to the nuances of how we can focus on enjoying our food. So this podcast is going to be focusing on how do we approach healthy eating in children. And this is applicable if you're a provider who takes care of young children, or if you are a parent of young children. And so oftentimes I will hear parents talk about how they feed their children based on their child's growth chart. And I want to remind us that the growth chart, aside from being created a very long time ago and potentially not being that applicable to our current population, um, the growth chart is really giving us an idea of growth velocity. And when we look at a growth chart, we need to look at if they're staying on their line. So I'm concerned with someone's growth chart if they jump up two lines or jump down two lines. In those situations, I think, gosh, this child was trending on the 80th percentile and now they're in the 25th. So that's kind of strange. That's not something we see often. And I might start asking questions about what the home life is like, how food security is, how the child's eating habits are, et cetera, to figure out more. But if I have a child who is on their growth chart and trending on their growth line with no difficulty, I honestly don't care if they're in the 90th percentile or the fifth percentile. What I care is that they're staying on their curve. And I really can't emphasize this enough, especially with children who are on the low end of the curve, because I often hear stories from parents that their previous doctor kept trying to feed their child Pediasure or expensive Ensure drinks because their child was always small and in the fifth percentile. And when we look at the data from those previous visits, the child was actually trending on their line. It's just their line is the fifth percentile. And so I, I want to preface this by saying, if you're concerned about your child or if you're taking care of a child that you're concerned about, you need to look at the trend and also all three lines. So height, weight, and BMI. This will give you a general idea of their body makeup. Um, and again, if they're staying on their curve, and I would generally say what their curve is, is established by two years old. So I would look at their two-year-old point and then go from there. Um, and I, if they're staying on their curve, I wouldn't be worried. That is just where their genes have put them, especially starting at two years old. While there are things we can do as adults that harm our children and make them too high on the growth curve, growth chart, sorry, or too low. In general, by two years old, they're, if they're getting the food um, options that are necessary for appropriate growth, they should be kind of settled into where their growth curve will be for the rest of their life. If they have a healthy relationship with food, if they have appropriate amounts of food and types of food available, and if they get the recommended amount of exercise and live a general healthy but not anything crazy healthy, just kind of a general healthy diet, how you might have thought kids lived in the 1970s or 80s. And so I bring this up because the post that I referred to earlier basically went something like this. 
had a picture of two boys in baseball uniforms. It had an average looking eight-year-old boy and then a super happy, like over the top happy four-year-old boy who just like looking at his enthusiasm made you smile. And the post says, I have two kids and I'm looking for healthy snack ideas. And then it proceeds to go on and say, my eight-year-old doesn't have any front teeth right now. And he is very energetic. He's always on the go. It's impossible to get him to sit still, uh, to eat a meal. He's you know really thin. And I'm looking for high calorie foods that he can eat easily that will help him not lose weight. There was no mention that he's been losing weight or that he's falling off his growth curve, just that there's this underlying fear that because he's thin, he may lose weight. And because we don't see him eating much. Now, it's important to remember, here's a sidebar, um, that kids generally have pretty good adaptations internally for food to make sure they maintain their body weight. Um, When we listen to our bodies, they will tell us when we're hungry and full. And most kids can't ignore those, even if they're really having a lot of fun. So they may eat their food super fast and like three days a week eat a ton of food and the other four barely eat anything. Um, But they've done studies that look at children who have really good internal recognition of hunger and satiety, and they figure out what they need throughout the week, even if we seem to think that they're eating next to nothing. So um, anyway, that's a sidebar. But so her comment was asking for high calorie snacks for her eight-year-old. And then she follows with, on the other hand, this is my four-year-old who weighs more than the eight-year-old and loves food almost too much. And I'm looking for low-calorie snacks for him. And my heart just sank as I read this because this is a well-intentioned mom. Like she's really, she's a physician, she's smart and educated, and she's probably trying her best because our society has ingrained this fear of fat and this idea that if you are fat, your life is doomed. And that if you are fat, it is bad. And I'm not by any means saying her four-year-old is fat, but I'm saying that general idea is ingrained in most of us. And so her approach was well-intentioned. She's trying to think, how can I get my skinny kid to you know, bulk up a little? And how can I help my kid who's kind of on the, the heavier side be thinner so that they're both healthy? But the reality is, again, I don't know the nuances of this specific home, but I'm going to just speak to the approach. The reality is that the approach to these two children should be exactly the same. If you approach the the thin child as being, you can eat whatever you want, it doesn't matter at all, you just need calories, well, that's not going to promote healthy eating habits. That's going to promote a child who will eat whatever is available in high calorie, which tends to be the foods that are driving our uh, obesity and diabetes epidemic. And these these foods don't necessarily drive them in young age. They can, because we've seen this increase, but it drives it largely in the 18 to 24 age when kids are off on their own for the first time, their metabolism's changing, their activity levels change, and the only foods they have been taught to eat are things that are super high in calorie and convenient and they've always gotten away with it you know from a a weight standpoint in their mind they can eat whatever they want and it doesn't matter and so there are plenty of thin people that we see in the hospital for heart attacks for kidney disease for diabetes those things are not those health issues are not focused just on weight and so it's the food that matters you cannot out-exercise a bad diet is a common saying that I wish I could tell you off the top of my head who said but Uh, Props to whoever that was. (laughs) But uh, 
what we want to do with these children is not ingrain in the older child he can eat whatever he wants and then also not ingrain in the younger child that he's bad for how he looks that he can only eat low calorie things and that his love for certain foods is something to be ashamed of because any of us who have ever struggled with weight at some point of our life can recall shaming moments that happened with comments related to food in our body and if a child is told you can't eat this only your brother can because he's so skinny that basically means even if you're not saying directly the, the saying this directly to the the heavier kid it basically means because of your size you don't get to have this food you enjoy that's your fault and kids will internalize this as they will internalize the good and bad and they will take it personally that it's their fault that they are the way that they are when really at a young age the child has very little input into why they are the way they are at a very young age there's a huge genetic component and a huge environmental component and so i can't emphasize enough the importance of approaching these two children exactly the same these two children or any other scenario with similar children i don't want to um, i doubt that the woman who posted this is listening but if she were i'm not trying to say anything against her personally this is an educational gap um, in medical training and just in the world at, at large um, but the general approach is that we all should be eating healthy foods regardless of our body size our body size is influenced by many things many of which are out of our control, um, some that we can change, but many that we just can't. And our approach is to eat a healthful diet, stay active, take care of our mental, emotional health, and sleep well. And if we do these things, we will likely function to the best of our abilities. And so when parents ask me about how to approach healthy eating, maybe their child is in way off their growth curve. Um, maybe they've jumped multiple percentiles in their 99th percentile for uh, BMI, and there's concern because they have gained a lot of weight. Their curve previously was the 85th percentile. So this is obvious that there's something happening either metabolically, which is rare but possible, um, or in the environment that this child is living in. Um, something has happened that has resulted in this, and we need to approach it. And the first piece is that it's not the child's fault, which I was just alluding to. And the second piece is how can we shape the environment so healthy foods are the norm and the easy choice is being healthy. So things that I talk to parents about is having it start with them. Parents with an unhealthy relationship with food need to address their relationship with food um, and also their relationship with body size and weight bias before they can truly help their children. Because we give off um, nonverbal cues and kind of subtle messages around food and body size even if we don't intend to. And so if we don't address our underlying prejudices and preconceived ideas, we won't be able to foster a healthful relationship with food and body in our children. So the work always begins with the parents first. Um, and then the next piece is diet. So if a child is struggling because they have what appears to be like an addiction to certain foods, we need to work with that child to figure out how we can help decrease those foods will improve increasing and improving their taste preference for other foods um, and so don't buy chips if that's your child's weakness don't buy them every week all the time you can maybe have them on special occasions and talk about mindful eating with your child and really help them savor how delicious that chip is um, and you know their bowl of chips that they're having but 
you can't buy the chips and put them up really high. That kid is going to see them um, and potentially even sneak them and emotionally eat them because they've been forbidden. And so the food at home that the parents eat is what the children eat. And so parents always need to self-reflect first on their food habits before they can try to make changes to their children. And so I always talk to parents about having this be a family approach where everyone is eating the same food and it's a healthful diet that you would want for your child and that you would want for yourself. Um, And then coming off of the food piece onto some other pieces, again, instilling healthy habits around other health behaviors unrelated to food. Because if we're well rested and physically active and in a good mental place, we're much more likely to want to eat healthy foods. We all can think of times in our lives when we've been stressed out, overtired, and isolated. And we think things like chocolate, fast food, pizza, ice cream are going to make us feel better. And they do momentarily, in the moment when we're eating them, they release endorphins. This has been studied. It's just like a drug. Uh, They release dopamine, which then makes us um, feel pleasure. And then they can also stimulate us depending on the food. And so we need to remember our children are the same way. And so we need to work on things like having a positive bedtime routine, making sure our kids are getting enough sleep at night making sure that they're being active throughout the day. With COVID, you know, some activities have been canceled and people haven't done all the things they used to do outside. And it can be easy to just sort of feel cooped up inside. Hopefully the weather is improving by all of you. Uh, It's improved here in Colorado, uh, but we have had a number of cold, snowy April days, kind of the saddest April since I've moved here five years ago, um, or almost six years ago now. And so, um, but as the weather improves, trying to get outside as much as possible and making sure we're getting sun exposure because there's a huge piece with mood and sun. And then also just moving our body in a way that's more than just um, kind of casual, but actually like physically exerting ourselves so that uh, the heart rate gets up and we kind of get this ebb and flow because that that really resets our nervous system so that we can be relaxed when it's time to be relaxed. And so... um, I always talk to parents about their physical activity because you can't just sit on the couch and then tell your kids to go outside and run around, right? Like that's that's hypocritical, not okay. Uh, especially when the guidelines recommend adults get 150 to 300 minutes of exercise a week. There's no reason why you shouldn't do that as well as your kids. <laughs> and so um, some ideas that I usually recommend are doing a family walk after dinner um, because this is a great habit. It helps with blood sugar control first because as you're walking, your body has to actually take sugar from the bloodstream and give it to your muscles to fuel your exercise. And so um, it can help decrease insulin levels and blood sugar levels pretty promptly after eating um, and has been shown to improve diabetes control even without weight loss. And so I usually recommend coming up with a healthy habit such as that um, because it also can be a great family bonding time. Um, Walking has some um, therapeutic benefits to it as well because of this bi-directional motion. Um, They don't know necessarily all the details, but um, there are some types of therapy that do uh, bi-directional like EMDR and it kind of rewires our brain. And so if we're going on a walk with our family and having even a basic conversation, but occasionally deep conversations, and it's just a joyful experience, that will wire connection in our brain, uh, which in turn was going to greatly improve our ability to talk to people when we're feeling stressed and otherwise wouldn't talk to them and maybe would isolate. And also is going to improve our personal view of ourselves because we're connected and help us make healthier choices all the time. 
Um, and then also just addressing mental health because mental health issues are prevalent right now. Oh gosh, I know a couple of counselors and they are just swamped because everyone needs a counselor right now. COVID is wreaking havoc on everyone's mental health. And uh, there aren't a lot of outlets because people are suddenly realizing how much need they have and the counselors are overbooked and insurance is always a barrier with uh, reimbursement. So um, making sure that we're paying attention to our mental health and then attempting to seek help if we are struggling. Um, and I know I kind of gave a doomsday approach to counseling uh, right now, but there are counselors out there. And if anyone's employed, their employee assistant program often has on-demand counseling services. And so even if you can't get into someone immediately, you know, getting in to someone, you know, at least um, within the next couple of days that you can talk about the general issues that you're having before you can establish with a full-time counselor. And talking about that struggle with your children so teaching your children that it's normal to have ups and downs and that there are some things when it feels like too much that we need to ask for help i can't even begin to verbalize as i'm struggling for words here how powerful that could be as a child to hear your parents say it's okay if you're not okay like you can tell me i'm not okay sometimes and when i'm not okay I reach out for help and this is what I've done. If you ever don't feel okay, you can always come to me and we can help you do that too. Um, and then after you've started to feel better from speaking with the counselor or getting help, whether it be medications or other interventions, talking to your child about how that was. You don't have to give them the details of the negative thoughts you've had or the anxiety worries that you've had, but instead saying, I was really struggling. Remember when I was kind of snapping a lot and I was sort of withdrawn in the last spring and the, I'm sure they may or may not remember but you can say I was really struggling you know this has been really hard for me and I decided that I needed help and so I saw a counselor and I've been seeing this counselor every couple of weeks and I've noticed I'm a lot happier have you noticed any difference and they'll probably say yeah you're not snapping at me I'm not getting grounded or or yeah I've noticed that you come out and play more than you used to or whatever it is that has made the difference and so really making that connection so they see that these services do help and that it's completely normal to ask for help. And so um, I've kind of gone off on another side tangent here talking about the non-food related things, but I just think those pieces are so critical when we're addressing the overall healthy approach to our children. So to summarize the key points I want you to keep in mind from this podcast, number one, if they're on the growth curve, they're fine. Even if they're, even if they're high or low on the growth curve, that's where their body has settled keep them on their curve. That's the goal. And we're going to try to do that through healthy habits as a family, but try not to stress out if your kid's on the low end of the growth curve, they're, they're probably not starving. They're probably just going to be that skinny kid. And that's just the way it is. And we need to accept that. Okay. There's every species has a wide range of body sizes. Um, you know, you would never ask a great Dane to be a wiener dog or vice versa, right? Pit bulls a little different as well. Everyone's got their different body size with their composition. And we need to remember that people, even within families, can vary quite a bit. And so honoring that child where they are, making sure that they don't feel like it's their fault that they're not where you want them to be, right? But that they are perfect just as they are. And then, um, so please, I guess with that, please don't try to fatten them up or, or shrink them. <laughs> Just try to keep them where they are. And um, and then the second piece is that this is a family approach. And I guess I didn't mention it earlier, but I kind of alluded to it. 
if you're struggling around this family approach or around one of your children's eating habits, their body size, their activity level, whatever it is, it's whenever something like that bothers us, it's usually like a mirror in our face. So we're often well-intentioned trying to change how their experience will be compared to what ours was as a child or what we saw as a child. And that is a perfect piece to work through because you do not want to have the negative repercussions of that child feeling like they are not good enough and they're being judged by the people who they're supposed to be the most secure and vulnerable around. And so um, if you're struggling with any of these pieces, I cannot emphasize enough getting help around that issue, whether it's a life coach, a health coach, a counselor, anyone that, that I wouldn't just talk to anyone, I guess, anyone that's trained to talk about these specific issues which are related to thoughts and beliefs. Um, please work through that because it will do wonders on your relationship with your children, which honestly is the most valuable relationship at this phase of life if you have children at home with you because the whole goal is for them to develop into their own individual beings who are strong and confident and can go out into this world and be who they were created to be. And they can only do that if they have a loving, secure attachment with their parents at home. And so um, I hope this wasn't too much of a guilting podcast because that's not my intention. I just want to show how easy it actually is to work on creating a healthy balance. Um, it's pretty straightforward. The hard part is executing it. And so I would love to try to bring resources around executing these things to the podcast. So if there's anything specific that you would like us to talk about, I'm thinking about trying to bring some guests on in the future. And um, I can also bring in some other tools that I have. So leave any comments for me or send me an email, nutritionhealthlifellc at gmail.com. And I would be happy to try to address those on future episodes. So that's what I've got for you today. Uh, leave your questions below. Be sure to rate the podcast um, and share with friends and take care. I'll be well. I'll chat with you next week. Bye-bye. While I make every effort to broadcast correct information, I am still learning. The views expressed on this podcast are solely my own, based on extensive experience and research. The views of this podcast are not those of any organizations that I am currently or previously affiliated with. If you have any concerns about views or opinions expressed in this podcast, please contact me directly at lynn.stiff at nutritionhealthlife.com. One doctor may have a different way of doing things from another, and I am simply presenting my views on how to Use diet and lifestyle approaches to improve your health. By listening to this podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice or to treat any medical conditions that either yourself or others are experiencing.
please consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Do not ignore or delay obtaining professional medical advice because of information accessed or otherwise obtained from or on behalf of Nutrition Health Life LLC or Lynn Stiff, MD.